A reading from the book of Genesis, chapter 27, verses 18 to 27 and 36 to 38. So he, Jacob, went in to his father and said, My father? And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, so that you may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come near, that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went up to his father Isaac, who felt him, and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, because his hands were hairy like his brother's Esau, Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it to me, that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him. Moving to verse 36. And later Esau said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I have already made him your Lord, and I have given him all his brothers as servants. With grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing, father? Bless me, me also, father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Thank you for the world so sweet. Thank you for all the food we eat. Thank you for the birds that sing. Thank you, God, for everything. Amen. So thank you girls for that table blessing. We are going to have different families at the table every week during this series, beginning the sermon time um, with a blessing. So I am just excited about that because I think it's a lot of fun to include them in this special way. You know, families are complicated. I'm sure I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Families are complicated. We have a complicated past. We often have a complicated present. And I have no doubt that our future will be complicated as well. But I think that that's just as it should be. What better place to learn that life is complicated than when surrounded by people we love and who love us unconditionally? What better place to learn to stay at the table metaphorically than, than with a family that, that sometimes gets messy or, or complicated? What better place to learn that relationships are often hard work? That life often sends us into complicated situations and, and we've got to learn to negotiate those and how to be faithful in those and to walk forward with those. Faithful to who God has called us to be as his people. So indeed, families can be complicated. The family of God can be complicated. But I think those are the perfect places for us to learn how to work it out, to be faithful and diligent and committed to the relationships around us. Now, this morning, we have come to a really complicated family in the Bible. 
They're so complicated. They have this history of complication that goes way back before this passage that was just read. Oftentimes, we see their complications coming up at the table or over a bowl of stew or what have you. But, but again, there is just one more lesson that we can learn at the table, literal or metaphorical. Families are complicated, and this one may be just a little more than most. Esau and Jacob, perhaps you know their story. I'm going to give you just a Reader's Digest version of their past, and then we'll talk a little bit about the current situation in their lives, and we'll look to the future. But anyway, we know Esau and Jacob, the twins, as they are. We know that Scripture tells us that they were wrestling in their mother's womb. This sibling rivalry started out at the very beginning. They were wrestling in their mother's womb. They were at each womb. They were at each other already. And when they came into this world, Scripture tells us that Jacob was holding on to Esau's ankle. He wanted to be first. Because in those days, being the firstborn was hugely important. The firstborn was the primary inheritor of dad's wealth, of the family name, the family legacy, the blessing to carry on in in the family's name. The next generation was dependent on the firstborn. And so this wrestling began in the womb. Jacob was trying to get ahead, even at birth. Mom and dad may have complicated things because scripture tells us that Esau was a hunter and dad favored him. Scripture tells us that Jacob was the intellectual, preferring to stay in the tent and sit quietly, and mom preferred him. And then we come to the table today where we see them, and we witness more conniving and lying and manipulating. It's complicated. Mom gets in on it, trying to set up the situation for the outcome she wanted, And we see this family's complications begin to unfold in plain sight. As you heard the Harris's read, we we know that mom sent Jacob in to trick Isaac, pretending he was Esau to claim the blessing that was due the firstborn. And Isaac gives that blessing to Jacob so that when Esau finally shows up and comes in from the field with his kill and his meal that he prepared for dad, there's no blessing left to get give. That's just not how it worked. And so this complicated family brings us into this lesson that we can learn at their table of deceit. It leaves us with the question, how is it that we stay in relationship with someone who has wronged us? How is it that we stay in relationship with someone we don't like? How is it that we stay in relationship with someone with whom we have conflict, legitimate conflict, sometimes not so legitimate? How is it that we stay at the table? How is it that we remain faithful to God's call to be in relationship when life gets so complicated and deceit is part of the question, is part of the equation? How is it that we remain in relationship when things are not as they should be? Those are the questions that are before us in the story of Jacob and Esau and the manipulation and, and the deceit that went on in their story. You know, it has become so more necessary a conversation for us to have as the people of God into how is it that we get along with people with whom we just disagree. 
They say in recent years, family dinner tables at the holidays have gotten to be a shorter meal because families are in such disagreement. Politically, can you imagine? That even the mealtime has been shortened because of these disagreements and, and these opinions and these taking sides that folks just walk away. Well, people of God, that's not who we are. We don't just walk away, not for a difference of opinion, certainly. We don't sacrifice our relationships, the significant ones, the cordial ones. We don't sacrifice those on the basis of opinion. It's not who we are. And I would say, biblically, we have learned that we do not sacrifice relationships even when they are complicated by deceit or manipulation. Because what we know to be true from the beginning to the end of Scripture is that God is about redemption and no person and no relationship is beyond the redemption of God. God seeks reconciliation. It's why Christ himself died on the cross to bring us all back into relationship again. And if Jesus can come out of that dark tomb, then God can soften even the darkest of hearts. Ours? and somebody else's. There is no time, no cause, no reason that we need to excuse ourselves from doing the hard work it takes to be in relationship with another human being. This is who God calls us to be. It is the hope of our faith. It is that hope that keeps us going, that hope that keeps us trying, that hope that keeps us at the metaphorical table. What is it that we can do to be faithful to who God has created us to be? It's so important. As I said, these days where there is such conflict and such differences of opinion with such strength, if the people of God have no other witness, and we certainly have many, but if the people of God have just one witness to our country right now, can it not be, yeah, life's complicated, But we are here to be in relationship with each other. Our families, our neighbors, our churches, our communities. No one is to be counted out. Not for us. Not for the people of God. No one is beyond redemption. Now I want you to hold on to that thought. I want you to hold on to that because I believe it is absolutely true that all relationships can be redeemed and that no one is beyond the redemption of God. That's, it's always a possibility. And so we stay at the table and maintain those relationships in order to be part of what God wants to do, God's redemption perhaps in our own lives and in the lives of someone else's. I believe this to be true to the core of my being And yet, I'm going to swing the pendulum in the other direction because I do think that there are times, there are occasions when it's important for us to get up and walk away. And there are times for us to get up and walk away so that we can say this situation is not beyond the redemption of God. That still is always a possibility. But that this situation, for it to be redeemed, I have to set a boundary. I have to set a line that cannot be crossed if we are seeking to be faithful. You know, I know that there is so much sin in this world, so much brokenness, so many complications in relationships, that sometimes the best way to redeem a situation or a relationship 
is to walk away. Sometimes it is better for reconciliation to take place at a distance because for one reason or another, to stay at the table, to make reconciliation possible in that way is not safe physically, may not be safe emotionally, may not be safe spiritually. There are moments to draw a line, not to forsake, not to give up, but to turn the situation over to God and say, do your work, Holy Spirit. I'm not the Savior, you are. And so we have to make these decisions carefully, prayerfully, intentionally, not giving up easily, but knowing again that there are some times when it's best just to excuse ourselves and to make it clear why. I love the writings of Brene Brown. She's a sociologist in Houston. And in her book, Braving the Wilderness, Brene Brown seeks to to carve out the difference between walking away just from a difficult conversation or a difficult situation and the times when it's necessary to walk away for the sake of future redemption or reconciliation. And she says it's vastly important, hugely important, that we stay at the table sometimes. She says that when we need to stay at the table, those are the times when we must be there in order to to, to have those hard conversations, those difficult conversations, because the relationship's worth it. And we don't give up easily because we know and we feel the Holy Spirit moving between us and whoever the other person may be. Boundaries are not necessary just for getting our feelings hurt, she writes. Boundaries are not necessarily necessary when we disagree with another person. Not in the sense of that boundary meaning walking away. Hurt feelings, disagreements, talk them out. Don't give up on the relationship. Don't get angry. And take your ball and go home. That's not when the boundary is necessary. What Brown says in terms of the necessity of the boundary is that when the conversation begins to dehumanize another person. When the conversation, when the language begins to dehumanize another person, you or anybody else, then that is the time to walk away. That is the time to draw your line. That is the time to say, for reconciliation to happen, I need to leave. I need to turn it over to God. When we begin to dehumanize the other person, when somebody else begins to dehumanize the other person, to put it in faith language, we would say, when anybody speaks of another as if they weren't made in the image of God. To put it in a positive light, we know that God created all of humanity in God's own image. We believe that it's at the heart of our faith, the very beginning of Scripture. God created us in God's image. And anything that is said to the contrary, draw a line. If you speak about a woman with certain language or a man with certain language, draw a line, don't put up with it. If you speak about somebody of a different ethnicity, if you hear that speech... If you hear speech that dehumanizes someone of a different religion, a different sexuality, if you hear that speech around somebody with certain limitations physically or mentally, put a stop to it. Draw that line. Redemption sometimes means setting the boundary at dehumanizing language. 
when you hear somebody being spoken of, documented or undocumented, any of these things, when you hear somebody being spoken in an un, of in an unholy way by, because of their profession or their party affiliation, we're going to go there too. A person's a child of God. And to make that point, you draw the line. I've told you all before that I still regret at times when I would hear some of my in-laws use racial slurs. And I regret those times when just trying to fit in, I put up with it. And it took having my three-year-old child at the table and hearing those slurs as well when I finally got it. And I said, enough. I'm not going to have this for my child, nor will I have it for myself. Not anymore. I'm drawing a line. I'm walking away. That's when we get to act, step away, say enough, and pray for the Holy Spirit to do its work. Pray for the Savior to get involved and redeem that situation. Nine times out of ten, hopefully we're around people that don't go there, that don't use that language, that don't expose us or those we love to such situations. But if you do, draw the line. Brene Brown, who I mentioned before, goes on to say in her book that oftentimes dehumanizing language leads to violence. We've seen it. We've seen it. And folks, if we don't speak up when we hear such dehumanization, then we become complicit. Our role as a people of God is to seek redemption and reconciliation by setting the boundary and drawing the line and saying, not on our watch. Dehumanizing language more times than not can lead to violence, and we can't have it. It's interesting in this story, we're looking on into the future now with it. Once this treachery has happened, this trickery, this deceit, Esau is understandably murderously mad. He has ticked off at his brother, and we get it. Rebecca, the mama, noticed it too, and she said, Jacob, time for you to go. Time for you to take your flock and get out of here, go to your uncle's, go to another country. You got to get out of Esau's way because he is angry. Don't make any excuses, just go on. And so for decades, these brothers, one who tricked the other one, one who sold his birthright out early in, in earlier chapters, these brothers live apart for decades. They start their own families. They start their own business of herding sheep and flock, growing, having flocks and so forth. And they both become very successful in different areas. And God works through that time on their lives and in their hearts, I don't doubt it for a minute, in order to bring reconciliation even to these brothers by chapter 33. Decades later, God is still at work. And what these brothers have learned in their time apart, in their time in their own space, in their own worlds, doing their own thing, what both brothers have learned, successful as they are, is a sense of humility. When both people, both parties, the wronged party and the one in the right for that time, when they begin to have this sense of humility, the Holy Spirit's done its work and the Savior is moving in their lives and, and they begin to see their way back together. And in God's timing, God knew when it was right. He sends Jacob back to his brother and he says, it's time for you guys to reconcile. 
Go and make amends with your brother. And Jacob sends his flocks and he sends gifts and he sends all sorts of things ahead of him to make amends to Esau, whom he wronged years and years ago. And Esau, when he receives Jacob's gifts, he says, what is this? I don't need all this stuff. You are my brother. And I forgive you. And the two come back together for a time. In humility, reconciled, the relationship redeemed, going their own way as God sees fit to leave them. No relationship is beyond redemption. Sometimes we absolutely have to stay at the table and do the hard work, counting no person out, no relationship so far gone it cannot be redeemed. Sometimes that redemption will come when we take our leave and say, I will not put up with you dehumanizing or devaluing somebody created in the image of God, I won't have it. And we take our leave. But what we see in both instances, in both cases, whether it takes days, weeks, years, decades, is that God will work for redemption. God seeks reconciliation, and so should we. It's who we are. Thanks be to God. Amen. And let us pray. Gracious God, we do give you thanks for these complicated lives we live, for the ways that we learn to be in relationship with each other. Lord, we pray for forgiveness for the times in which we have hurt someone through treachery or deceit. We pray, Lord, for the times in which we are stand in need of forgiveness because we have been in the wrong, sinners that we are. And God, we pray for the times, too, when you enter our lives and seek to bring reconciliation to another, to offer redemption to someone whom we are in close relationship with, to offer redemption and reconciliation in, in our community, in our, in our country, in our world. God, whatever the case may be, whether we're in the wrong or we're in the right, whether we're the sinner or the saint in any situation, we know that you are present and it is it your will for redemption to occur. So help us to be wise and discerning. Help us to, 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 with humility, enter into relationship, to know when to stay and when to go, to be clear about our boundaries so that we may be clear when it's time to reconcile. God, we need you in this complicated life. Thank you for the practice we get. And help us to see you in all things and in all people so that at the end of the day, we may be found faithful. For it's in the name of Christ that we not only pray, it's in the name of Christ that we seek to live. Amen. You know, the absolute in this story of Jacob and Esau, the absolute in our lives is that we seek, serve a God who wants redemption and reconciliation. The choice that we have is the means in which we take to be faithful to that call of God. Shall we walk away for a time? Shall we stay present? What is it, God, that you are calling us to do in any given situation? God, we need your help. Go in peace. And may the peace and the grace of Christ go with you. May the power of the Holy Spirit give you discerning hearts and discerning minds so that we all may be found faithful. Amen.